This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. I'm Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. Halloween's over, and Christmas music is sneaking into the world. The first Christmas album out this year was The Backstreet Boys' A Very Backstreet Christmas. They recorded the album in 2021 with the idea of releasing it last holiday season, but the COVID scare last fall prompted them to shelve the album and the tour they had planned to accompany it until this year. Joss Stone has a new Christmas album, Merry Christmas Love, and I'm enjoying Andy Partridge of XTC's My Failed Christmas Career, an EP of demos of Christmas songs he wrote for others that didn't find a home. So far, that's only on vinyl and only as an import, but I'll keep an eye on that. So far, my favorite new Christmas album is Christmas by Chris Isaac, who will be on tour to support it later this month. It's nice to hear him and his band in a true rockabilly mode. I'm also looking forward to listening to Def Jam Records' Def the Halls, with new Christmas songs and Christmas classics by artists on Def Jam and its sister label, 4th and Broadway. We'll talk more about those in the upcoming weeks, but today we're going to talk to children's music artist Lori Berkner. Last week, Lori released another Lori Berkner Christmas, her second Christmas album. I'm interested in Lori and children's music artists, in part because our generation and those that followed are the first that didn't feel an obligation to put away our music when we entered the grown-up world. It's remained part of our lives, and many of us have tried to share that with our kids. In many cases, by introducing them to it while young, through artists who figured out how to retain what we love of our music and adapt it to something kid-friendly. Also, kids and Christmas have been connected for more than a century. In Stephen Nissenbaum's great book, The Battle for Christmas, he traces the way Christmas was domesticated and how giving to the less fortunate evolved from the wealthy in town sharing their good food and booze with the rowdy workers to children being domesticated as the less well-off so that keeping the money in the family and giving them stuff was considered to be in the spirit of the holiday. Let's get to my conversation with Lori Berkner. We'll start out with her version of Candy Cane Jane from her first Christmas album, 2012's A Lori Berkner Christmas. Then we'll be back on the other side with our conversation on 12 Songs. Her name was Candy Cane Jane. Her horse had a candy cane mane. She sat by the window pane and watched the snow come down. To play in that snow And so together they'd go For a ride on the horse With a mane made of candy canes Giddy up A year or so ago, I interviewed Dan Zanes And at mm-hmm. the time, and he referred to his music as family music mm-hmm. Not specific, not really children's music uh-huh. How do you think of your music and talk about it And do you make that distinction? I'm not asking you to talk smack about Dan. That's a, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's interesting. I, I noticed that that change in the description happen over the last maybe five or 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I have all like, a, I initially absolutely thought of my music as it's so hard to 
I'm not I'm not sure I'm going to answer your question correctly. But anyway, this is what I think. I started I started out thinking this music is for the kids. Like that's why I'm writing it. With the caveat that I don't want to get sick of playing it. <laughs> so, I wanted to also be like fun for me and interesting, which had the consequence or the result of it seeming like sometimes older siblings Older kids, parents, teens, they didn't, they seem to enjoy the music as well. So I do think of it as music that a whole family can enjoy because they're interacting with the young children. But I really, like the most important thing to me is that the kids that I'm thinking about like the music. But I do, I do say kids and families enjoying music. I actually think about that a lot these days because I've noticed that switch to family music. Um, but I really, I just have a very strong sense in the way that I write that I try so hard to come from the perspective of the child most of the time that I think it would not really be honest to say I'm trying to write family music. Like I really, it's for the kids and I really hope the families love it too. Um, and they seem to, but that it's not my first, it's not the first that's, if I had to choose, I would say kids music. Sure. I tell you part of the reason I ask, I'm going to come back to some of what you just said in about a minute, but one of the reasons I ask is I think this has become an interesting, an interesting development. I think about, you know, um, about the number of parents I know who were, who are, who love rock and roll, who love popular music. And unlike their parents for whom basically music was something you were supposed to get over sooner or later and go and get a real job, right. that, you know, these were parents who then wanted to share their love of music with their kids and so started you know, basically whether bringing them into the music they loved or finding music for children that at some level worked for them. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm based here in New Orleans, and so I've known and known the imagination movers and uh, done done stories with them. And for one, at one point I interviewed Jason Ringenberg from Jason and the Scorchers, who has his own also has a... Children's, I mean, children's music is probably a big part of his career now, and and we mentioned Dan Zanes earlier. So clearly, you know, a transition happened where at one point, you know, I think about my parents, and that at some point they felt like they needed to put their music down and go join the real world. And there's clearly another generation that didn't feel that same that same need. And they look for ways to bring their children into their love of music. And I think artists like you, artists like the Movers, artists like Dan and Jason and many others are now hitting that, are now sort of in that space. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that was, you know, when I first started, um, it was something that we used to put in the press releases was like, a rock concert for kids, you know, which I think was the idea or like hip kids music was sort of the thing, I think, because I had two nose rings. So that like worked, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I, you know, at the time there just wasn't, 
as much of that. Dan hadn't actually even started doing kids music yet. Um, I don't think the movers were yet either. And, um, but soon, soon after that, but that was like kind of what I started out with, with my first publicist and, and it felt honest. Like it felt authentic. I was like, this is kind of what I'm trying to do. I want there to be a little mosh pit in the front. I want kids to think like, I'm going to a show where I'm supposed to move and have fun and enjoy the music and my and the parents can hopefully feel the same way and they aren't supposed to sit quietly in their seats and listen as I sing at them, you know, that we're doing something together. And I think that sense of ownership over music, of feeling involved, of feeling, you know, like this is my music, I think that is something that comes from my own childhood and maybe people in my uh, and and maybe even people in the generation before me, like we all felt like we had our music. Right. And that's something that I actually hear parents say about my music with kids is they're like, put on my music, you know, uh-huh. and that makes me feel really good because I feel like that is that's what I'm trying to create. I want them to feel that ownership over it so that there's an organic connection to the music itself. Right. You know, a moment ago you were talking about making music that you were happy to make and that sort of satisfied you to make. And one of the things I was thinking about along those lines is that in a lot of children's music, that the musicality of the performance sort of takes a backseat to sort of everything else. And it was, and it, and it, in listening to yours, that especially like a version of Carol of the Bells, it's very clear that the, that the joy of singing and and the harmonies on the record, and it's very clear that these are things that you you worked on and that you that are are important to you. A how does a I guess make it easy? Is that something that's important to you? And do you have any feeling for how children process that if they process it at all? Um, well, it's absolutely important to me when I'm recording. Like I, I love being in the studio. I am a kind of a, I can be kind of a perfectionist in there. Um, I also feel like I've spent a lot of time working on my, Hey, remember who this is for and make sure that, the like this is for the kids so make sure the most important thing that's going on here is that you're creating music that they're going to be able to connect to even if you think it would be really cool to like have an entire orchestra singing that you know playing this part which I still do that sometimes because it is really cool (laughs) but I hopefully not at the expense of kids being able to connect to the music so that's one thing um can I just pause for a second? Absolutely. Can you hear that? Yes, I can. There's somebody working in my bathroom, and I was just thinking maybe I should move. Hark how the bells, sweet silver bells, all seem to say, throw cares away. Christmas is here, bring a good cheer to young and old, milk and the bowl. Ding, dong, ding, dong, that is their song. With joyful ring, all caroling, one seems to hear words of good cheer from everywhere. Um, I do really enjoy just like 
challenging myself to make things sound as good as I can. Also, I want to, if I ever go back and listen, I don't actually go back and listen to my own music all that much unless I need to, to remind myself for something else or to relearn it. Cause I'm playing it in a show and I can't remember how the song goes, which <laughs> honestly happens a lot at this point. I can't remember, but I have a couple hundred songs. So it's like a lot for my brain sometimes. And I'm menopausal. I can't remember anything, but I do think that, um, when I'm like in there, I, I want it to sound, I know I want it to sound as good as possible. Like I want, you know, how some people have that, um, when they listen to ASMR stuff, it like gives them a little tingly feeling like up the back of their head or something. I don't get that from that, but I do get chills when I'm listening to something that I've recorded where I think I've, it's really like I'm done. You know, like I did something that felt emotionally impactful and powerful that sounded musically beautiful and or, you know, positive in some way. And um, when that's done, I I get like little chills and I'm like, OK, we can move on to the next song. <laughs> you know, so I do. I spend a lot of time thinking about it and I love working with, you know, really good musicians and you know, also people that I really enjoy emotionally just spending time with. So there's that mix in there. So anyway, that's a long answer to that first part of the question. But then you asked, does it matter to the kids? And I feel like, so to the youngest kids, I don't know if it matters. I actually think in some ways it can be, it can take away because I think there's a real focus on learning language, especially when we're really talking about, you know, toddlers and younger and like they're just they're taking in so much to learn language. And um, when the voice is not super present and front because there's so much else going on, some of that can get lost, I think. But not every song is about that. A lot of songs can be more about the interaction of the movement. Some songs are also just like that there's a beautiful, you can just have a feeling listening to a song. And actually you mentioned Carol of the Bells. So that's a song that I think I learned it in high school when I, or middle school when I sang it in choir, I think it was middle school. And I just remember feeling like this is the most Christmassy, exciting beautiful, like kind of haunting melody. And I love the round and then it comes around and goes around and it's just like, da, 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 da. Like it just, oh, I loved it so much that that was like the feeling I wanted to impart on this album. Um, and also as for the Christmas album, honestly, I am thinking a little more family than just for kids because it, when when people are listening to Christmas music, they're listening as a family. That's not something you just put on for your kids, right? So there, so all the things I said before, there is a little bit of a shift that happens when I have made my first and this second Christmas album. Um, but I do think that, you know, I think once kids, when they love a song, then when they get older and they come back to it, they want to hear that somebody actually cared and put, you know, energy and thought and time and, you know, hopefully talent into what they're listening to and, um, and that it can stand up over time. So I think about that a lot. Sure. Yeah. And that, and just kind of the simplest level, I would imagine that, you know, part of the, you know, part of what motivated you in the first place is that you enjoy singing 
and part of the fun of singing is singing with other people. So it would seem like just kind of at the most core, here's you know, why I'm in the game in the first place level, it's because I like doing this thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I love making music. That's, I, when I was, I remember like graduating from college and thinking, well, if I really could do anything I wanted to do, I would just spend my life making music because that's what really makes me happy. But of course I could never make a career out of that. (laughs) So I want to pick up on something you just said, and I think you partly answered it, but we can take it a little farther. When you're arranging um, songs, how does knowing that kids are the are your first audience? How does that affect the way you sort of arrange and compose? Well, arrangement in terms of the instruments um, is I don't know. I guess I try to find a blend between what really sounds good to me for the song itself, like what brings out the best parts of the song and um, makes it feel whatever I'm trying to get across in the song. Is it an exciting song? What's going to help create that excitement? If it's a more quiet and introspective song, what's going to help create that intimacy, right? So there's that aspect. And that's, you know, just true of any any song. I feel like whether whoever I'm, whomever I'm writing it for, but I do think that sometimes I choose to make the instrumentation specifically more um, streamlined sometimes or simpler in some places than I might otherwise. I definitely think about that with lyrics Um it's not that I won't use words that kids might not understand. I think that's great to discover new words, but I try not to use a ton of them unless it's very conscious. Um, like on this album, there's a song called Little Tree, and it has a lot of words packed into um, 10 porcupines hung hanging vines. So there's like 10 and then nine and eight, and we're working our way down, and each one is a little bit of a tongue twister. And usually I would do that like, once in a song, not for 10 different animals and then like repeat it again later. But what I did with that song is I did that. And then the chorus is actually super, super singable, super, super simple. And that is where I feel like, okay, if there's a whole family listening to this, the toddlers can sing that part and that will make sense to them once they get there. And it might be fun to hear the other images, but they're not going to be able to sing it right away. And like, that's going to be something they're going to grow into. Right. So maybe the older kids will catch that. Like that's something I would have wanted to try to figure out what are all those words and then memorize them when I was, you know, not two, but more like seven or eight, nine, 10. Right. So I was think I was thinking more about a broader audience in that song, but I, I tend not to do that. Usually. Um, I try to keep the, I try to keep things so that they're manageable to come in on a sensory level, like it, that it makes sense and that it doesn't take like, it's not tons and tons of listenings to be able to feel connected to it, that there should, it should happen. Doesn't, there should be something interesting. There should be surprises, but I want there to be like enough core simplicity in the arrangements, in the lyrics, in the way the whole song is put together 
um, that allows a really young child to follow it, know how to sing it pretty quickly, and then feel mastery over it pretty quickly. Because then that thing we talked about before, they get this sense of ownership. It's like, that's why it's their music. Like it feels like this was, I'm singing this, it's about me, and I am capable of reproducing that sound and feeling that energy or whatever the feeling is because I can do it too. When ten porcupines bring hanging vines Sprinkled with drops of dew that shine Nine brown bears bring golden pears And little berry baskets for the tree to wear Eight reindeer make... I would imagine that you're aware really quickly in, uh, in a live performance when you don't have the balance right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny... I. I will say I'm pretty hard on myself. So sometimes I feel like I go off stage and I'm like, oh, God, that song I wrote recently that like I, I didn't try it out in front of enough people. And I it just like I couldn't keep them engaged. And then I'll I'll think that and then say that to someone who was in the audience and they'll say, oh, no, everyone, I, everyone around me was doing it. But maybe it wasn't as obvious to me from the stage, not as active, um, you know, so sometimes I'm not. Right. But I do pay a lot of attention (laughs) and try to, you know, I create not only this within each song, but I think about, of course, the shape of the set list itself and how are we going to move from one song to another? What's the energy in the audience? Am I like getting them all up and riled up and like that? Do they have enough time to relax so they can come back with more energy later? There's, you know, a lot to think about with that. Now, you and the new record. You have two songs that struck me as bold choices. Um, Number one, Good King Wenceslas, which, Mm -hmm. first off, the word Wenceslas. Um, But also... (laughs) Every word in that song. Every word. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, I love Good King Wenceslas, but it's a bit of a lumbering song. Um, (laughs) Why choose that? Uh, well, when I was a kid, what I loved about, I really loved that song. And it's funny because I have people much younger than me working for me and they were all like, what, what is this song? Like they, it's almost like it disappeared. And so part of me was like, come on, bring back good King Wenceslas. (laughs) I loved it. Um, but I, I also really liked that there was a, a story to it. And I think that, what I was trying really hard to do with that song was to create, was to help to make sure that the story um, came out in the song. So one of the things was, that's one of the reasons I asked Norm Lewis to sing the King part. Like I wanted the characters to stand out from each other um, so that they could actually, so kids could follow the story basically. It's, they still might not be able to. I'm sure that there will need to be some explaining, and I'm I'm sure I had it explained to me at some point when I was a kid, but I, it made me curious. And then once I knew the story, it made me want to learn those words and um, 
And honestly, also, so my husband's mother uh, has pretty advanced Alzheimer's right now. And she knows she can't talk with us for more than a few seconds without kind of veering, like, I'm not sure what she, she doesn't know what she's talking about anymore. And neither do I, or maybe she, she probably does know. I just can't follow it. But, you know, she remembers every Ira Gershwin song and pretty much every Christmas carol. And she can sing every word to Good King Wenceslas. Wow. And, and, you know, it made me just think about that. Like, it's kind of cool to really learn songs that are outside of what's easier, you know, something that might be more challenging and something and just kind of get it into your awareness that it's there. And then my hope is with the Christmas albums that it's something that people will play for many years. So that, um, you know, something like the song I wrote, I live inside a snow globe, shake it up, which is, I've seen, you know, one and two year olds get really into doing would be something that pulls them into the album. And Good King Wenceslas is something that they get more out of later. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen When the snow lay round about deep and crisp and even Brightly shone the moon that night though the frost was cruel When a poor man when you started that story, you were like, it's sort of plodding, which is true. It's like long and it has this same, 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 right? Over and over, which was something that I thought about a lot when we did this recording. Not only did I think, okay, we can break it up with having a different voice come in. And I also tried to have a little bit of a slightly different sound for the page than for the sort of narrator words, but also that I like changed is it the third verse I think we go into three to take us out of the plotting right and then in the fifth verse we actually speed it up a little bit so my whole, whole idea was like this, this is not going to be a plotter <laughs> but we're going to keep the feel of it and all the words and like it's the story will be there and so hopefully kids will feel more connected to it and won't get tired of it in the middle <laughs> The other one I was thinking about was Here We Go a Wassailing. And I suspect for most kids who are listening to this, this is going to be the first time they ran into the word wassail. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you deal with a song where that reference is kind of central to the, to, to the whole song? Yeah, I thought about doing, I think some people have changed it to Here We Come a Caroling. Um, but I liked... I kind of, I looked up what wassailing meant, (laughs) (laughs) but okay. So, but other people can look up what it means too. (laughs) And I remember learning that song, not knowing what the word meant, but still think, but it sounded kind of fun. And so it was fine. And, um, yeah, I think also because I had, um, uh, Suzy Roach and her daughter, Lucy on that song and, the Roaches had actually recorded that song before, and it was Here We Come a Wassling. I was like, I'm not going to mess with it too much. You know, I'm, she already has to learn a totally different part. And, and I had changed some of the words because I found out that wassailing was like about um, the grain being ready to make uh, alcohol, I think. And I was like, oh, 
not so great for a friendly kids album. So I'm going to, I'm going to change some of these words. I'm just going to mix them up a little. So it really feels like it's just about caroling and eating food, uh, which is uh, what I wanted it to be about. <laughs> so anyway, I, I thought it, at least I could keep that word in there. <laughs> I was about to ask you, so how did you, um, how did you connect with Suzy Roach and why bring, why bring her and Lucy on board? Um, so it actually was just sort of random. I was the engineer that I work with, Dave Darlington, um, who's just very extremely talented and has done so many amazing projects and worked with so many people. I was saying to him, I kind of want to do the Hallelujah Chorus, but I don't know how to do it in a way that would be cool with the band without it. It just might sound weird. And um, so he... I went home. He said, why don't you do it like acapella or something, or maybe just with trumpets? And um, I went home and I mentioned it to my husband. And he said, don't you remember that the Roaches used to do that fully acapella? And I thought, oh, my God, I saw them do it live more than uh, once. Uh, I, uh, and I, it just was, had been, you know, 25 years or whatever. So I totally forgot. And I immediately looked it up and I was like, oh. God, I love the roaches so much. And I had a period in my 20s where I was completely obsessed with them. And um, so I started looking them up online. I was like, what's happening? And I sadly found out that Maggie had passed away of breast cancer, I think, in 2019. And um, it looked like Terry was living on the West Coast, which after I recorded everything, I found out I think she's actually in New York, which I didn't know. Um, but then I saw that Suzy was here and that she was touring with her daughter and I thought oh so she's doing kind of the similar sounding stuff but not as the roaches anymore and I mentioned it to Dave when I went back the next day and he was like oh I know Suzy <laughs> <laughs> you know Suzy Roach she's like yeah I'm actually it's I'm he was like super old friends with her now husband I think they got married during the pandemic um and he was like, I could just text him and see if she'd be open to talking to you about it. And I was like, yes, yes, right now. <laughs> so so we did. And she immediately said, sure. And I was like, great. What about, you know, could you ask Lucy too, since that's the sound that you're like doing right now? I would love to have you both come in and then I could sing with you and we'd have like a three-part harmony. And so they both agreed. And um, yeah, they came in and did it. And it was it was just so neat to get to meet her in person and um yeah maybe great. Great. here we come a wassailing among the leaves so green here we come a wandering so fair to be seen love and joy come to you and to you your christmas too and god bless you and send you a happy new year and god send you a happy new year we are Christmas carolers that sing from door to door And we are neighbors' children whom you have seen before Love and joy come to you, and to you your Christmas too And God bless you and send you a happy new year And God send you a happy new year Bring us out a table and spread it with but One of the things, you, you include a number of uh, faith-based songs in the um, in in the album, in, in yeah. both of your records, um, how walk me through the process of how you think about how to include and what to include 
in terms of faith-based songs? Yeah, I feel mixed about that because I don't have a strong, I mean, I was raised kind of agnostic, but we celebrated Christmas, we celebrated Easter. Um, My mother's whole family is actually Jewish, but she was raised Catholic as sort of a complicated history. Um, And then when I got older, I was like, wait a minute. I think I'm actually Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) So I started like discovering some things about that. Have some wonderful friends who, especially when Lucy, my daughter was younger, we would go to their houses for different Jewish holidays. And so I got to learn a little bit more about that culture and started reading more, blah, blah, blah. So I don't have like a super strong relationship to Christianity. Um, although I did have a couple of years of being born again in, in high school as well. So it's like, it's everything's mixed for me. But in, at this point in my life, I feel like the most important thing is just to kind of the feeling behind what I'm trying to create is when I record something is what I'm looking for. So I picked songs that while there were certainly religious references in them in them to me I remember as a child them it wasn't something that was like this means I believe in God in this way it was they were like feelings of hauntingness or beauty or joy or love or friendship like things that just made me have strong feelings that I had a lot of positive memories about. And those were the ones that I picked to put on. So um, I'm not trying particularly to express anything about my own faith. I think everybody who wants a Christmas album will listen to it from their own perspective and from what is right for their family. But if, but it, but I was very clear with both of them that they're just Christmas songs. Like there's no Hanukkah songs. There's no, and there are songs that are like wintry, but that feel Christmassy. Um, mostly just because I felt like if you're celebrating Christmas and you want to hear Christmas songs, that's, this is, this is what that is. And it kind of dilutes it to try to do more than that, which I honestly did try to do before my first album. I was like, okay, I'm going to do some Hanukkah and I'm going to do some Kwanzaa and I'm going to like write some winter songs. And as it pulled together, I was like, this has, this is nothing like there is nothing, nobody wants this album, <laughs> you know, because like if you're, if you're celebrating Hanukkah, like you don't want to hear the Christmas songs. Right. And so it just, I just felt like, okay, this, this is what it is and I'm going to go for it. So um, that's kind of what I did both times. Joy to the So last thing here, this is your second Christmas album. So is Christmas music good business? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I was looking recently and I was like, is, are people still buying my first album? Like what's going on with that one? <laughs> um, but yeah, what's, you know, of course it has a season. Many people are more interested in it as we get into the fall and closer to December. And then of course through December, but um 
interestingly, you know, I mean, kids love, a lot of kids really love Christmas music and so do a lot of adults. And so I find that sometimes I can tell more with the videos, like I'm noticing like, oh, the Christmas videos, they're being played, people are watching them all year round. Um, So it's definitely, it is good business. I did the first one because my distributor who was Razor and Tie at the time said, you know, you should probably put out a Christmas album. And I was like, really? (laughs) (laughs) And then I thought, well, I love Christmas music. And so that was when I went through that whole thing of like, well, is it, am I, you know, am I leaving people out by making a Christmas album that felt not good to me? Um, But it was actually really exciting to kind of make the list of songs like, hmm, which ones am I going to do? You know, what might be, what do I remember loving when I was a kid? And what would also be fun to do now, um, you know, as an adult musician? And uh, so with the first one that it was because they had suggested it with the second one, I felt like, wow, it's been, I can't believe it's already been 10 years. (laughs) And there are so many good Christmas songs. And one thing was that there were more, like you said, more faith-based songs that I hadn't done the first time because I kind of wanted to stay a little bit away from that because I, I wanted it to feel just easy for the youngest kids and um, not necessarily filled with a lot of a lot of st- stuff behind the songs that may or may not be what a family it, you know is trying to how they're bringing up their kids. So, um, so this time I thought, okay, you know, I'm just going to dive into whatever I remember loving and, um, and put it on there, you know, that, that wasn't on the first one. There were a lot on there already. So I had a smaller pool to choose from, but there's a lot of Christmas songs out there. Right. Yes, there are. <laughs> so to wrap up, Tell me a Christmas song that you love that would not make any sense for you to perform. And uh, like the version that you love, like what Christmas song you really love to hear, but that would never be on one of your records. Okay. Uh, I think pretty hard about that. Um, A Christmas song that I, oh, I know. Probably uh, um, the Mariah Carey song. Oh. I don't love for Christmas. That song, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I actually, when it comes on, it's really fun. Um, that one, and um, but I just feel like, I don't know. I could maybe also because there is a little bit of like a romantic element to it. I feel like I don't. I don't really like putting songs like that usually on my albums. I think if there's a way to feel like it's, it can be more about a parent or a child or a family relationship, um, then it's okay. Like I feel like I, I did fly me to the moon and I felt like that one I could imagine parents and kids singing to each other, but all I want for Christmas is you. That feels much more like directly romantic and probably not, the right thing for my age group. <laughs> <laughs> I live inside a snow globe. It's winter every day. And when I get up in the morning, this is what I say. Shake it up, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it up. Shake it up, shake it up, shake it up, shake it up. 
Thanks to Lori for the time and the talk. She will stream a holiday show on Facebook and Instagram Live on Friday, December 16th at 11 a.m. Eastern. And if you want to see what else she's got going on, go to lauriberkner.com. We'll wrap up today with Jingle Bell's Dance Remix from another Lori Berkner Christmas. I'm going to guess that you're not going to dance to this on your own, but if you have a kid, you might. Talk to you next I week. I like those J-I-N-G-L-E bells, those J-I-N-G-L-E bells, those J-I-N-G-L-E-V-E-L-L-S bells.